Welcome back to Trial Trends, a monthly podcast brought to you by 4G Clinical, where we tackle big ideas, challenge the status quo, and bring new perspectives to the rapidly changing world of clinical trials. Get ready to disrupt the old ways of thinking and discover the newest trial trends. Welcome to another episode of the Trial Trends podcast. I'm your host, Libby Rickenbacker, Director of Strategy here at 4G Clinical. Today's episode is timely as the pharma industry has been under perhaps the most scrutiny in its history under the incessant critical eye of media and social media. But what actually happens behind the scenes? To give us a peek of what that looks like, we welcome guest Azadeh Nolan, Executive Director of Clinical Manufacturing and Supply Chain Operations at Amune Therapeutics, a Nestle Health Science company. She is a true clinical supplies pioneer with nearly 20 years of experience in the pharmaceutical industry, dedicated to and with continuous accomplishments building and growing the industry's clinical supply chain operations landscape as it is seen today. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your questions and and talking through some really important topics. So I think we're really lucky to have you in that you are on the front lines and you, of course, like the rest of us, have a very personal life with friends and family that have probably relied heavily on your expertise during this time. So I would love to ask you a few questions regarding what kind of uh, source of truth have you been? What kind of responsibilities have you felt to your friends and family? And any questions they might have asked you? Oh, gosh, there's not enough time in the world for for all of that. But, you know, certainly, you know, my position is in the operations world. You know, my background in college is biology, genetics and such. But what I do on a day to day basis is not what the medics do or the people, in uh, you know, protocol writing and all the real science of the chemistry of things. But I have been asked a lot of questions from the very beginning. What is this virus? Is it even true? So I I definitely got questions from people that I hadn't heard from in decades, right? Oh, you do something in this field, don't you? It's really interesting to see people ask the questions, what do you, what, they don't even believe a lot of what they hear. And, you know, a lot of what, what I was doing was kind of comforting people saying, no, there's, there's really, really smart people that really care that have decades of experience in this field. And this is not something new. And so it's just more reassuring people because there is that unfortunate lack of understanding and information or misinformation. And so, yeah, I've been interpreting data from clinical trials at various companies that I weren't, wasn't even part of. That's very interesting. Uh, yes, a lot of people have come out of the woodwork in, I think, our lives as well in that there's a lot of questions they hear on social media, in the media, you said misinformation. Do you see a difference between the type of information some are getting, the type of individuals they are? Do you have a different way of kind of handling those questions? I'm sure that you've gotten some interesting input in your life. (laughs) Absolutely. I think every person sees the world through their lens. You have people that have TikTok as their source of information, and it's it's a little mind-blowing, and they do believe it as, as the Bible of information. And, you know, you have people that read journals and and you have people that don't even read and just they're all about hearsay. So I think, you know, it's always about the audience, no matter who you're talking to and what situation to make it relatable. Yeah. You know, I have to change the message based on who they are. And I think hitting points 
for people on what matters to really get the point across is really critical. And so, yeah, the same message I've said maybe 10 different ways. Social media, it certainly isn't the best source of information. Kids out there, you know, adults. Yeah. Don't believe everything you read or see on the internet. So in this case, with media in general, we've been so dependent on it, of course, because we haven't been able to leave. So we live our lives seeking information. We have become experts in fields, or we at least think we're experts in fields that we haven't studied necessarily. So do you think that this has harmed um, the world? I think it's, you know, with everything, there's pros and cons. I'm even 15, 20 years ago, you couldn't just research these things. These materials were not available online. I think it's wonderful that people have access to the information. What I think is harmful is what information they choose to actually take as fact. I think, you know, what's harmful is people don't fact check where the information comes from and and who the person is. Just because somebody says they're a doctor in a post doesn't mean they're a doctor, first of all, at all. And if they are, perhaps they're a doctor in some other completely unrelated field. So I think it has harmed us because the media is targeted. Absolutely. And so we have to be smart as let's call it consumers of of information. And I think that's in mind. I think it's great. It's great to have the information out there and, and see various views, see sides, if you will, of any topic, you know, not just related to the pandemic, but anything. I think it's a good practice to, to see all aspects of, of what, what you're curious about. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think those are really good points. And especially coming from you, <laughs> you know, you really seeing these trends and not just at home, but also at work. So I wanted to ask you there as well, of course, what kind of differences are you seeing in your day-to-day? Maybe with you work in operations. So maybe what's happening in terms of planning trials and what your colleagues are seeing in terms of designing the protocols, et cetera. What are those differences and how are you coping, I guess? What are the strategies that are allowing you to pivot and still be successful? Yeah, ask me that question a year ago, you you would get a very (laughs) different answer. You know, well, obviously, from an operations perspective, we went from open transportation lines, availability to clinics for receipt of drug to absolutely not. So you have patients that need this drug or any drug, right? So from a professional perspective, we spent weeks with cross-functional folks from from doctors to transportation folks to regulatory folks. We are working in a highly regulated environment. We have to comply to various, not just FDA, but all the different countries' regulatory requirements. So remaining compliant whilst making sure you have continuity of supply for these huge, huge. So we spent almost every day, meetings four to six hours at a time with people all over the globe, all hours of the day. And, you know, I'm really proud to say that I work with a team of absolute professionals that are so dedicated and really just tenacious for the patients that we serve. We were one of the very few first companies that developed and wrote our own in-house protocol to send drug to sites uh, direct to patient. Some other companies 
like 4G develop modules very quickly, right, to allow for that sort of bypass step from the, you know, the depots to the clinics to the patients. And I think that is one really big change. We saw that we can do things differently and the patients are still safe. The drug is still efficacious and we can do things differently. I think that's the biggest pro that's come out of this. Other changes, I don't know necessarily if we can do things faster because again, we're in a highly regulated environment and and safety and efficacy is always going to be there, but can we work smarter? And I think uh, that's certainly come across in a lot of our studies at AMUN, studies we work on for Nestle Health Science and, and across the board, as I talk with other colleagues, I think everybody's looking at how can we work smarter, not harder? That doesn't necessarily mean faster, but it certainly can optimize the process of bringing these medicines to patients faster. I love what you said that we can do things differently. I mean, that's huge, right? What you mentioned before, the industry as a whole is known as conservative and slow moving, but we have had to adapt to these really interesting times. You mentioned we can work smarter. And I'm wondering, I know that you have a very interesting background in terms of the therapeutic areas that you've worked in. I was wondering if you see differences there in terms of maybe some strategies that can be leveraged for maybe your therapeutic area now, allergies versus maybe something that you've done in the past with oncology. Is Do you see differentiation possible to maybe achieve a faster, smarter approach to the trial? Yeah, that's about my pay grade. No, just kidding. No, there are much <laughs> smarter people out there that are trying to answer that question. But I think various indications, therapeutic areas, the human body is just so phenomenal, right? Every one of these new biologics or products that are coming to market, they're better than the one before. You know, if you, if you look at how things were developed in the 50s or 60s or 70s, as we evolve, I think absolutely, yes, we will continue to get better. And I think we can leverage across all of the indications better ways of doing things, but it can't be lost on us that every, not just indication, but every product and every patient is different. And so that's where, you know, we're moving toward more personalized medicine, genomics, and, you know, basically taking your own cells, remanufacturing them and putting them back into your body. That can be done for a a number of, you know, it's the scientific process. And And I think we were talking earlier on, you know, how everybody's just around the coffee table, vectors, mRNA, nobody really spoke about those things. And now everyone's almost an expert. There's decades of costs that have gone into these developing these, not just medical pathways to medicines, but processes, equipment, procedures, and these things need to be recouped, right? So I think a lot of people's perception of pharma is unfair in many ways. And that sort of taints also the the trust to the medicine, right, that's coming out. So I, I think that it's a very complicated dynamic, but I certainly think all of these technologies, all of these drugs, uh, we can certainly leverage them across different indications, but it is very different. Somebody with cancer versus somebody that has a severe peanut allergy, they need to be customized. And and that's, you know, the devil's in the details. 
Yeah, and those details are important because as everyone is an expert now, what has to be done to garner the trust of the, in the case of vaccines, 70% of the population. Where do we get herd immunity? We have to make sure that we are able to really gain the trust of everyone, hopefully. But what, in terms of the industry and where you see the industry going, what have we done so far and where are we going that will allow us to keep getting that trust of the general populace? Yeah, so I think this definitely has a two-pronged, maybe even three-pronged approach. One, getting the right data out there. And that's on the pharmaceutical companies and the media. Two, as we mentioned earlier, be a smart consumer, really understand. And three, be nimble. I think as people, we tend to like being comfortable and knowing what we know. Things change. Biology changes, evolution of our cells. So I think being nimble is the third and and most important to keep your mind open. Things do evolve, things change, and we as people need to be smart about accepting change. That's really, I think, the biggest thing is, is to gain trust is we have to be open. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And it's interesting that you that the word change is very important when we're talking about even just the regulations within the industry and the changes that we've gone through in terms of process that have gotten us to the phased approach where we are in trials oh. in that we've responded to the need, i.e. emergencies and really horrible debacles that have put this phased approach in place for clinical trials. I was hoping you could discuss the phases which clinical trials go through, why they exist, but specifically the timelines required. As an example for COVID-19, the mRNA vaccines have been under development for many years. However, the perception is that they were able to move at a kind of warp speed. Do you think it's possible to move through the clinical trial phases faster? We can certainly prioritize. I think there, again, there are a lot of smart people out in the world, but developing these mind-blowing therapeutics cost a lot of money. So, you know, the FDA, these regulatory bodies, I think, as you said, they develop these phased approaches for the safety of the patient. There are so many steps that when people say, can we just go faster? It literally gives me the chills. Because those are the same people that will not take the vaccine because, well, I don't want to be the first one to take it. Can't have your cake and eat it too. Well, sometimes you can, and I like doing that. But it's really just, again, go back to let's work smarter. We can work smarter, but when a stability profile takes 48 months, it takes 48 months because we need to see how that biologic reacts with that drug in a human body for this amount of time. There are absolutely ways that we can speed that up. There's accelerated stability, right? You put them in in conditions that are not two to eight degrees centigrade, they're 40 degrees and and you accelerate that growth. So yes, with science, you you can speed certain things up, certain things you cannot. And I would never want any regulatory body to do that. They have put in processes in place for expedited review, right? So there are ways to to move things faster. And yes, I think in some ways we are so heavily regulated by GXPs and industry for every single thing that is not operating the way that we defined it, we have to have an investigation and, and paperwork and documentation. So 
the requirements perhaps could be a little less stringent. Again, we should still obey the same concepts. We should still trust these regulatory phased approaches and we still have to go through every single step. Can we sprint instead of walk? Absolutely, but we cannot skip a step. Great answer. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's wonderful hearing it from you. Going back to the trust and having it be earned and proven, it comes back to this regulation and the processes that we've built. It's something that lies in the bedrock of the companies that we all work for. And I'm sure that you see this every day with- Every day. Yeah. (laughs) Could you extrapolate a little bit on what you I'll just give you an example. Every time I sit in a meeting- I am just absolutely blown away by the amount of intelligence that's surrounding me. I'm sitting there thinking, wow, these people, how do they even think of these protocols with these different arms and the different cohorts and and what they want to get? And, you know, not only not only are they brilliantly smart, they care. You know, these are these are your people. I mean, friends, these are your family. They're sitting, you know, people that work in pharma and biotech. We're just another person, just like you, and we want to make a difference in the world. And not all of us can go through medical school <laughs> and be on the front lines. Bless, bless all of our healthcare workers on the front lines. But in a small way, I think, at least how I see it, is I can contribute. I've been so blessed in my career to actually work on three products that have come to market. And I don't know, hundreds of thousands of patients, both in oncology, vaccines, immunology, and, and allergy. It's so satisfying to be part of that every day. And, you know, in operations, my biggest sort of caveat to people at every end and and, in every level across any company, I bring back the conversation to we are serving the patient. We have to focus on the patient. And, you know, we may be talking about building a system and nobody's even at that point thinking about it, but, you know, bringing back that focus to the patient. Again, I work with some really, really smart, dedicated people, and I don't have to do that much around them because we're constantly thinking about how do we make the patient experience better? How do we do it smarter? And yes, it is a business. So how do we do it in a cost-effective way, diligently? So then when we do and hopefully go to market, we can make sure that that cost is reasonable. So I think... Yes, trust needs to be earned, but you also need to know, right? And you don't know what you don't know. And I wish more companies would do what you're doing in sort of highlighting the people that are working on these medicines. Right now, we're in the in the spotlight because of the pandemic. People have been doing this for decades. We've been developing drugs for decades, and I think we'll continue to develop those drugs. And knowing that these people are qualified highly qualified, highly regulated. And, you know, even somebody that is in our warehouse shipping a box out, they care. They, they understand. We, we have slides that we go over. We show, I remember when I was working on Rebecca for Clovis Oncology, we showed a slide deck to our warehouse, our depot folks on how this person's tumor was, you know, the size of a melon. And within six months of taking that medicine, it's almost gone. It's the size of a pea. And, you know, I still get messages from people about 12 years later. I don't know. Time is 
so lost on me now, but that that visual really inspired them to think what they're doing on a daily basis makes a difference. And I think maybe perhaps that gave trust to that particular person because people need to be educated. We need to know. And the media really just shows pharma as, you know, these, these villains in some ways uh, that are just greedy and, and trying to exploit the patient. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, the hit-home messaging that you're talking about is so important. And I probably will never forget what you just described, the tumor size and what these differences you know, are after the treatments that are developed with so much process and so much double-checking. For more on this conversation with our guest, Azade Nolan, please check out part two of this episode of The Evolving Perception of Pharma. Thank you for joining this episode of Trial Trends. If you enjoyed this discussion, then make sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast platform or on 4gclinical.com. Until next time, we're your hosts, Kathleen Greeno and Libby Rickenbacker.